Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. As we come to the last message of our five-week series, He Made Me Human, Dr. Newfeld wraps up our study of Genesis 1-11 to with part two of a message called God Governs the Nations. When God created the world, He created it as an expression of Himself. That's why He created man. Man was created in His own image, in His likeness, and was given a mandate. Rule and reign over the works of my hands. Rule and reign over all that I have made in such a way that you represent me. Notwithstanding the fall, nothing but nothing will stop that from happening. The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.14 would write, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The purposes God had in creation cannot and will not be thwarted. All God made this earth for will ultimately be accomplished. In Psalm 22, verses 27 to 28, David would prophesy, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. See, there is a promise that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be felt among the nations. But for now, in this present hour, things are not so. When we studied Genesis 10, we found a man named Nimrod who founded not one but two empires based upon naked aggression. He rebuilds what was ruined by the flood. He rebuilds the city of man built upon the values of the love of self and the hatred of God. The city of Babylon, which we will meet in today's study, is a city representative of evil in the world. The city is mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 14, verse 8, Babylon is called the city that made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. In Revelation 17, verse 5, Babylon is called the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Furthermore, Babylon is depicted as a woman who is drunk with the blood of martyrs, meaning this city is responsible for the spirit of persecution of God's people. And in Revelation 18, verse 2, Babylon is called the dwelling place for demons and a haunt for everything that is unclean. What becomes clear is that Babylon was once both a real city whose foundations are from of old, but Babylon is also a symbol or an ever-present spiritual reality in the world. This city is the full expression of what is meant by the city of man, a city which, influenced by Satan, expends all her energy to prevent the ends of the earth from remembering the Lord and turning to him. Babylon is the reason things are as they are in so many places in the world, including what is felt in our own country. And so we see two forces at work. God is guiding the nations, but the nations are being subverted by the city of man. Now let's take a look at Genesis 10:25 as describing one of the sons of Shem. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Now, the Hebrew word for divided is the same word that is used for scattered. Found within Genesis 10 is the story of Genesis 11. In a way, Genesis 11 is a flashback which tells us the reason why God divided the nations. So let's read Genesis 11, 1 to 9. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. 
And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You know, this account of Babel, later called Babylon, located in the present-day country of Iraq, which now lies in ruins, is the first attempt at a satanic superpower. You remember that God gave the command to fill the earth, but this city is an attempt to resist this command. The founders of Babel determined that they would keep humanity united, that they would not divide. And as we can see, they were not only unsuccessful, but they were unsuccessful because God intervened. Now, in this drama, we see exactly how it was that God will restrain evil and not allow conditions on earth to again become like they were before the flood. But when Antichrist reigns just before the second coming of Jesus, the entire world will be united under one government, and all will be forced to worship the head of that government as though he were God. Listen to how the book of Revelation in, in chapter 13, 5 to 8, describes this time yet to come. It says, The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. See, throughout the history of humanity, one attempt after another have been made to resurrect the city of Babel and rebuild the Tower of Babel. On a local level, some of you may remember that before the death of Saddam Hussein in Iraq, that he himself was making plans to rebuild Babylon. But on a global spiritual level, many have tried to rebuild what was first done there. Remember 1 John 2 verse 18 says, The Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. That gives a very clear picture of a distinction between the many antichrists in the past that have attempted to unite the earth in one great satanic world and the one antichrist who comes at the end who will succeed where the many before him have failed. But why have none succeeded until now? Well, Paul explains that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. There he says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. Now, it's beyond our study today to ask who is the one who restrains or how that restraint is going on, only that we observe right now that until the time is at hand, God will not allow one city or one empire or one civilization to control the entire human race. And why is that? Because God has made an agreement, a covenant with the human race. Whenever we see a rainbow in the clouds, we should remember the agreement he made in Genesis 9. 
He will prevent conditions that existed before the flood from repeating themselves. God is determined to make this world a place of good in spite of the evil in people's hearts. See, in this study, we've noticed that all nations are under God's sovereign care. Yet from the outset, the nations have wanted to rebel by building a super society, a society that wants to usurp God's rule and supplant that with the idea that man can be God in his own right. In Babel, this came by way of the tower they were building. Now, we have a pretty good idea what that tower looked like because there are still ancient structures like it examined by archaeologists today. They're called ziggurats or a temple tower found all throughout ancient Mesopotamia. Now, these structures were massive. They're made of solid brick, pyramid-like structures built like a staircase. They'd rise up, and at the top, they would build a small shrine, and they'd paint the shrine with a blue enamel to make it look like it blended with the heavens. To go up to the top meant that they were vying with God himself who dwells in the heavens. In this, we can see the fulfillment of the thought that the serpent placed into the heart of the woman. You can be like God, he said to her. And believing this to be their destiny, the builders of Babylon set out to accomplish what they believed was possible. In other words, the Tower of Babel placed human beings in the position of deity. The Tower declared that God was unnecessary, for humanity could already live in the heavens by themselves. Please know that this is constantly the temptation of nations, all nations everywhere in the world. In Canada, our national anthem says, God, keep our land glorious and free. But we also have forces in this country that want to take away every reference to God in every single public document. See, this is the tendency to believe that one's faith is a private matter, that every public function must happen without any mention of God. After all, we tell ourselves we can solve all our problems without the help of God. Indeed, we have become gods in our own right, and that is the spirit of Babel. I love what the past prime minister of Holland, a man named Abraham Kuyper, once said. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. More when we come back. The account of the Tower of Babel reveals much not only about the city that would later become Babylon and what it represented, but also its relevance for mankind today. What an interesting truth that the reason God divided or scattered the nations of the world was part of his good plan to get rid of human supremacy, but also prevent the kind of evil that exists before the flood. Well, we'll learn more about what the spirit of Babel is and how God's plan ultimately led us to a genealogy through which salvation would come to the earth. June is back to the Bible Canada's fiscal year end. As such, it's a crucial month for the ministry financially. Despite the financial impact of the last couple of years, Back to the Bible Canada has still been able to provide sound Bible teaching and engagement resources and even produce new ministry resources thanks to the loyal support of our listeners. This year, our fiscal year-end target is $409,000. And to help us reach that, several generous ministry supporters have graciously offered to match your donations this month up to $100,000. That means your gift has doubled the impact. 
We'd be so grateful if you might consider helping us achieve our financial target this fiscal year end. To make your gift today or for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Spirit of Babel is a declaration of independence from God. It's the belief that science and technology will solve every single human problem. It's the belief that justice and education and politics and the arts and and civilization can exist without prayer and faith and submission to the Creator. Babel is the society that wants to usurp God. Babel wants to repeat the line with which Satan seduced Eve, you can be like God. See, I'm always amazed at how easily we buy that line. Listen to me. We are not God. We can't control our destiny. We cannot control our lives. Our lives are lived by the permission of God, and when God says it's over, it's over. We should lean hard on grace, not on our own abilities. Babel is a society that wants to usurp God. Furthermore, Babel is a society that wants to build a name that endures. In verse 4, they say, come, let us make a name for ourselves. Did you ever wonder who they were? And what I mean is that not one single builder of that city is given. That city, concentrating on building a name for themselves, have all been forgotten. Nobody remembers them. Now let's go ahead to Genesis 12, too, where God says to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great. See, I find an amazing contrast here. On the one hand are the proud boasts of the people of Babel saying, we will build a name for ourselves. And on the other hand, you have this wandering nomad with no city at all. And God says to him, I'm going to give you a name. You want to know a little secret? More than a half of the earth's population today traces their spiritual ancestry back to Abraham. His name has become great and it will not be forgotten. Canada and its leaders and politicians will one day be forgotten, and so will the leaders of all the world's nations, but Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and finally the greatest name of all, Jesus, will endure when, as the hymn writer has said, when moons will wax and wane no more. Some of us need to remember this. I mean, think of all the famous people today, athletes, movie stars, politicians, musicians, writers, artists, philosophers. In a little while, no one will remember them, and their name will be permanently forgotten. But there are God's people whom no one knows today, and their names will permanently be remembered. They will be uttered in the annals of heaven. They will receive a crown that will never fade. So if you want to be great, become someone that no one in this earth cares about. Become a humble servant of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Kneel as Jesus did and wash the feet of others. That's the pathway to greatness. But Babel wants none of that. Babel declares independence from God, and Babel proudly announces that greatness, even deity, lies in their destiny. But Babel is one more thing. Babel is a society that wants to resist being scattered. They're determined to stay together. They tell themselves, we will endure forever. Like Adolf Hitler, who said the Third Reich would last a thousand years and and had barely survived a decade. Antichrist will utter proud blasphemies against God, but he will last 42 months, three and a half years. You know, it's easy to make boasts. In today's world, there's a great desire for the unity of the human race. It's not as if this desire is wrong in and of itself, you see. Indeed, one of the blessings of being in Christ is that all racial and cultural divisions are laid at the foot of the cross. 
Christ brings together Jews and Greeks. In him are found men and women of every nation, tongue, and language, and tribe. But unity that is not based on godliness always results in tyranny. See, notwithstanding, there is an attempt today to recreate the Tower of Babel. The United Nations seeks to bring order and justice to all the nations of the world, and there is an attempt to make communication possible between all peoples. But all of these attempts will fail until Antichrist is revealed, and that will succeed but for a brief moment. Now let me say that if the experiment of Babel would have succeeded, they would have persecuted God's people out of existence in exactly the way that it was accomplished before the flood. But God has an answer for human arrogance. The answer flows out of his kindness, his willingness to bless. God's answer comes in three statements. First, God comes down to see the tower. And I hope you see the irony here. The people of Babel say, our tower reaches to the heavens. And God says, just in order to even see this puny little pimple on the landscape, I have to come down. See, the lesson is simple. All of our grandest attempts do not make us like God. Rather, they make us look pathetic. But someone might say, well, what about verse 6? Their God says nothing they propose to do will be impossible. Is it possible that human beings are capable of great achievements? Yes, they are. But it's all possible only at the permission of God. If God allows it, it's going to happen. If God says no, well, it won't. And because God had made an agreement with the human race in Genesis 9, and because he placed his rainbow in the cloud, God will not allow Babel to be the center of human power. Second, God creates division among nations. He ordained the confusion of language. It became impossible for the world to communicate with each other. God scattered the nations. They are now unable to build a super society. And that, by the way, is what God is doing today. The struggle between nations might seem to be evil to us, but let me tell you what's worse. Unity between nations can be worse than divisions. Evil dictators have always been held in check by the power of other nations. God has created divisions among nations so that, even though some nations may limit the preaching of the gospel, he has held this anti-God power in check by the strength of other opposing nations. And third, God prepares the solution by bringing his blessing. In Genesis 11, 10 to 26, starting with Shem and ending with Abram, we are again looking at a lengthy genealogy. But this one is the most hopeful one of all because it leads to the solution of the human dilemma with sin. Let me take you back to where we began our study in Genesis. A good God created a wonderful world filled not only with creatures, but also with the sun and the moon and the stars to set an orderly course of time for this world. In the middle of this world, he created a man and a woman made in his image to be his representatives in rulership. But we sinned. We chose rebellion against the Creator. We chose to disbelieve God and to assume that we could be gods in our own right. In the process, murder entered into the human world. That resulted in division. Finally, a city was built based upon the love of self and the hatred of God, a city made up of powerful and violent and cruel rulers who persecuted the godly line out of existence. Then came Judgment Day and the escape of eight people from the flood as a sinful humanity started all over again. But God made an agreement to hold evil at bay. He did this by separating out the nations, never allowing the city of man to gain the kind of power that it had in the past. But God did more. 
He called a man named Abraham and began a special plan of bringing salvation to the whole world. In the fullness of time, he sent his own son into the world so that it might be possible for sinful humanity to come to God. And now the message of Jesus is going out to the nations, the scattered people of the earth, each of whom God has been specially preparing for their moment of encounter with his saving gospel. And that's how God is governing the nations. He is governing them with grace and with his love. He's governing them so that the full number of his elect, taken from every people group on earth, might turn to him and be saved. You know, I pray you've enjoyed the study of Genesis 1 to 11, for it tells us everything that there can be said in that wonderful statement, he made me human. It tells us who we are, and it tells us what we are created for. It tells us that the only thing that really matters in the end is that we might know our Creator and cooperate with His grace. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone who is listening today that does not yet know the God who created him or her. I pray by the power of Christ that they might know the grace of surrender to you, of confession of sins, and of receiving Christ as Savior and Lord and living for your glory for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John, a great message causing for a lot of thought for me, but you know, some of us would see division as a negative thing, but in this sense, it's not really, is it? No, it's not. I mean, of course it's a negative thing, especially when we see wars between nations, disrupting of whole civilizations. But the great positive is this. Uh, If the kind of conditions that exist in one nation that are sometimes so barbaric were to flood over the entire earth, how terrible that would be. So divisions prevent evil from coming to its maximum. And so they are God's grace in the world today. What an amazing thing, but it's true. Wow, this study today has really opened our minds to see the real relevance and application of the story of Babel on a spiritual and practical level. Humanity has always had this propensity to usurp God's rulership and to become in control of its own destiny. Yet incredibly, God has never allowed this to be fully realized for our own good and His sovereignty. Over these past five weeks, we've learned so much through our time in Genesis chapter 1-11. to I hope this series has informed, equipped, and blessed you in discovering these timeless truths. What an amazing, inspired book of the Bible that we're privileged to study and know God more deeply through. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical to God's people. And your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there are times when you may miss the radio program. So we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebiblecanada.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series both audio and video with Dr. John. But you can also learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our mission is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is accessible to as many people in as many ways as possible. 
For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.